Well, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honor to be with you here this morning at Solihull Christian Fellowship. I, I love coming here, partly because it's a short journey for me um, from Kings Heath, but, um, but also because I, I, just you're welcome. And uh, just looking at you, you're all smiling. I go to some churches and everyone looks really sad, and, uh, but just, I just feel so welcomed by you. And um, I just want to say, from, on behalf of Open Doors, on behalf of the persecuted church around the world, just thank you so much for your support, for your prayers, for your love. Uh, I tell you what, I get the privilege of going to meet Christians in these parts of the world, and uh, I'd love to take you one day to actually meet them. Uh, it was great to have um, uh, Craig with me in, in Turkey a few, uh, a couple of years ago now, was it? Last year. Wow, gosh, feels ages ago. But um, the thing that amazed me about Craig, and I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready, I just, I've always thought Craig is so well-dressed, and, um, and especially his shoes. They're always so shiny. Is it, have you noticed that? And um, this morning, I thought, I know what I'm going to do in preparation for coming here. I'm going to clean my shoes. And, um, and I thought, actually, they're not bad. They're pretty good. And then I stood next to Craig, and I looked at his shoes, and I thought, I have got a lot to learn. Um, but I know it's fantastic to, uh, to be here. I just I had a sense as we were worshipping this morning, and, and what a great time of worship. I've really sensed God's presence with us here this morning. Did you sense that? And, and a real sense that God is, it's almost like he's, he's there ready to just do something. Um, if only we would just take that next step. If only we would just give him everything and just say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And I just sense you're on, on the verge of something. I love that song, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. And keep your eyes on Jesus. One of the things that I've had the privilege of learning from our persecuted family is just watching how they keep their eyes on Jesus, even though their lives are at risk, even though they are going through some tough times. And we all go through tough times, I know. But keep your eyes, keep your eyes um, on Jesus. want to just let you know about a few things. I know you've, um, or many of you, I've advertised this here before, got a few more copies. If anyone wants to read God's Smuggler, Brother Andrew's story, just always, every time I read it, um, it just fills me afresh with faith, and uh, so do do um, do read that. I've also because I know that if many of you have already read that one, anyone read Prayer: The Real Battle? Um, yeah, a few of you. It's um, for me. This is, and, and I can say this because I read this before I worked with Open Doors. But for me, this was one of the probably the best little books I've read on prayer. Um, just partly because it just and I can sense that you guys are people of prayer. And uh, when Craig was talking earlier about prayer triplets, I, I'm in a prayer triplet, and I tell you what, that is the one thing that really keeps me sometimes. That really, I, I know that wherever I am in the world, wherever I, whatever I'm doing, I know that those brothers will pray for me, and I just have to send them a little message, and they'll they'll pray. And and I, I encourage you, if you're not already in a prayer triplet, do um, do consider being in one because they are. Uh, they are just fantastic ways to stay accountable, but also to, um, to pray really uh, 
but pray, you, you can really pray knowing the situation about people in, in, in lots of detail, which you can't do with lots of people, but you can in threes. And um, so I do encourage you to do that. But prayer, the real battle. I've only got a few. So the first few people who come and get one, um, do help yourself. They're, they're free, free of charge. Um, as you know, each year we, we, uh, we produce the World Watch list. I just want to say, I'm, we're really not about trying to push open doors. Um, we, we, we believe uh, in Jesus and in, and in building up Jesus and, and his kingdom. And, um, and so any organization that is encouraging you to do that, we are fully behind. And, and I, I don't want you to just think, oh, he's plugging open doors and I, I, we're plugging the kingdom. Yeah, we, we want to see the gospel go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all the dark places of the world where it's really hard right now. We want the light of the gospel there. And, um, and this is a way to encourage the church to pray for that. And um, if uh, do do take it, we launch it each year in Parliament, and um, we produce for the MPs just a, a little. Uh, it helps them understand a bit more of how we get to the top 50 countries in the world watch list. Uh, as you saw in that video, the top five right now were North Korea being number one for the last 17 years. Um, I don't know if you, um, I don't know if anyone's met Hey Wu. She was here in the UK this year. She was at Spring Harvest and New Wine, and um, we were, had, took her around to many places. And she told her story, and I just tell you, she, um, she's a remarkable woman who's been through one of the toughest and the most notorious labour camps in uh, in North Korea, where they say that you don't survive. In North Korea, just to own a Bible is enough to put you in prison. Uh, and it's, I just, when I, when I meet these people, I just think, wow, that you've been willing to risk your life to follow Jesus. And it's such an honor and a privilege. And I, when we were with her, do you know what I said to her? I said, going around the UK, what, any, anything that you're picking up, anything that you sense, this is just before she left. And she said this, she said this, I believe the church in the UK needs to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. And um, I was like, wow. You know, she could have said anything. And coming from her with all that she has been through, all the suffering she's been through, and she said, cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. And uh, I want to encourage you to cultivate that spirit of, th- of thankfulness. We've been trying it in, in our own lives. And every day now when we meet for devotions in the morning, we spend the first five minutes just going through thanking God. Thanking God for the warm bed we woke up in. Thanking God for uh, just the freedom we have. Thanking God that, for the clothes that we've been, we've been able to wear. Thanking God for our friends and family. And I do, um, yeah cultivate that spirit of thankfulness. The final thing I want to um, make you aware of is um, the, the Christians in North Korea, they're so courageous. They really are. And they, they've asked for Bibles. They want us to send Bibles out. And um, do you know what? You can smuggle a Bible. You don't have to literally go, but um, we can smuggle it for you. Uh, and you can smuggle hope to the believers in North Korea. It costs £10 to smuggle a Bible to North Korea, and maybe what you gave in the offering earlier, maybe you want it to go towards that, that's fine if you want to, it's completely up to you. But um, what, we, what we do is um, uh, we smuggle these Bibles, 
And then th this is something that we'd like to give to those people that, that decide they want to do that. And um, it, this, is, it, this isn't a Bible. This is a, a devotional that you can go through every day of the year. It's called a secret church devotional. And each day, it just has a little reading of Scripture and then a reflection from the persecuted church and then a response. And it's just really short each day, but it's, there's something for each day just to remind you again of our brothers and sisters. And um, we've had a lot of people um, looking, wanting these. So if, if you like one of those, um, you can. We basically give one of those if you choose to smuggle a Bible. Um, so do that. And if you, if you want to do that, some people say, hey, I'd love to smuggle a Bible once a month. And um, you can do that using that form. So yeah, fantastic. Great. I'm going to get this clicker working. Okay, let's look at 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, says this. In fact, everyone, everyone, that includes, I think that includes you and me, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many of you love God's promises? I'm sure if I had just read, you know, that God will provide all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You know, whatever, whatever you ask according to his will, he'll give it to you. Uh, they're great promises, aren't they? And they're all true. But this is a promise too. That in fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said himself, didn't he? He said, um, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And, and for us in, in, the, in this amazing country that we live, which we're so grateful and thankful for, we may not, our lives may not be at risk. We may not have to go to prison for our faith. But we might upset someone. We, we might lose a friend. We might upset a family member. We might not get the promotion we're looking for. I, I remember um, I was involved in uh, um, one of the pastors at Riverside Church down the road um, for 10 years. And uh, I was working with young adults. And I remember one day a young man came to me and he said, I, 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 want, to, um, I, I want to speak to you because uh, my workplace, they're going, uh, they've decided for Christmas this year, for their Christmas celebration, they want to go to a nightclub. And he said, as, as a Christian, sorry, it wasn't a nightclub, it was a lap dancing club. So he said, um, he said I, I, I know as a Christian that that's really probably not the best place for me to go. He said, what shall I do? So we pray together. And at the end of that prayer time, he said, I know what I need to do. And he went back to his boss and he said, look, he said, I really want to celebrate Christmas with you and my colleagues. But he said, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. And, and for me, I just don't believe it's right for me to go and be at that lap dancing club. I don't, don't agree with what goes on there. And he said, so I'm, I can't come. And do you know what? The, the following year, he had two opportunities to... Um, to, to, well, he went for promotion two times. And he was overqualified for both of those jobs. But he didn't get either of those jobs. And when he asked why, his boss said to him, 
because you didn't join in with our Christmas celebrations. And he made a stand. He made a stand for Christ. And you know, God will honor him for that. God will honor him for that. But I want to encourage you, you know, whatever it takes, make that stand for Christ. Be, I love the picture um, that was up here just earlier with the, where the songs were over it, of the dark sky and, and just the, the stars shining. You know, wherever the darkness gets darker, you can, the, the, the light shines even brighter. I remember being on holiday once with my children and uh, we, were, we were camping down in Cornwall. And um, one night, uh, my, one of my children needed to go to the toilet and they went outside of the tent and I suddenly heard a, whoa! And they looked up and there was no lights around and they looked up in the sky, it's a clear night. And they could just see the brightness of the stars in the sky. And they, they, I don't think they'd ever seen it before, living in Birmingham with all the light pollution. I don't think they'd ever seen it quite like that before. And they were just amazed. And, and as I looked up with them, I was like, wow, God, you're amazing. But it reminds us, doesn't it, that actually in the darkness, however dark this world gets, let's not, let's not lose the light of the gospel, the light of the hope that, is, that God has put within us because it will shine um, even brighter. Matthew 5, 10 says this. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. You know, one of the things that always amazes me about our, our family around the world who are persecuted for their faith is, is that they, it's like they have one, one foot in the world and one foot in eternity. And they're always thinking about that day where there'll be no more sorrow, where there'll be no more pain, where there'll be no more weeping, where they'll be with Father God. And that keeps them going. That keeps them going. Philippians 1, 12 says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. What is, I want you to know what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So what's happened to Paul? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Don't you think that's remarkable? I mean, what would you do if, say, Ben or Craig, as leaders of your church, leaders of Solihull Christian Fellowship, were arrested, put in prison, and then the, the police were to come here and to say to all of you, We've, if any of you continue to tell people about Jesus and to live as a follower of Jesus, then you will be arrested and put in prison too. Would that make you more confident or less confident? Interesting question, isn't it? I wonder, what would it do to us? But when you see scripture, you see the early church, they became more confident 
in declaring the gospel, proclaiming the gospel without fear. And do you know what? That's happening in the persecuted church too. That's what we see is happening. Is people are becoming even more confident. And I just want to share a few stories, if I may, just of, of just a few people that I've had the privilege of meeting uh, this year. I want to start North Korea. You know, in, in, in North Korea, there's idols in North Korea. And no matter what you've heard on the news recently about Trump meeting with, um, uh, yeah, Kim Jong-un, that's right. Uh, it hasn't got any easier for Christians. In fact, it's probably got worse, if anything. And uh, please continue to, to pray for them. But it, in your house, if you, li- if you live in North Korea, you have to have a picture on your picture, well, three pictures on your wall. Kim Jong-un, his, his father, and his grandfather. And basically, you, you worship those. They're, they're your gods. And do you know what? If you don't have them in your house, then basically you'll be arrested, put in prison. And what's worse is if there was a fire in your house, your responsibility, your first responsibility, is to get those pictures down and to rescue them from the house before you even consider going and finding your children. And if not, you'll be put into prison or shot for it. And that's the kind of regime, that's the kind of pressure that North Koreans are living under. And if you're a Christian, wow, it's even worse. And I want to just um, show you, one of the things that is amazing actually about the Bibles is that they're so passionate about Scripture. They want their own Bible. And when they get one, do you know what they do with it? They, they hide it. They have to. They normally hide it. Sometimes they put it in their sock. And uh, that's why we get small, flexible ones so they can put them in their socks. Sometimes they might hide them in a jar of rice. But most of them have them in a jar, put them in a plastic bag and bury them in their garden. And then once a year, or sorry, once a week, they'll often go to their garden. They'll dig it up at night time when there's no one around. They'll put a blanket over their head and with a torch they'll read scripture and feed on the word of God and then bury it again and try and remember what they've read for the rest of the week and then they'll try and do it again the week after. Uh, They're so desperate for the word of God. And I just think, man, how many Bibles do I have in my house? How much do I really value and devour the the word of God? I, I want you to imagine for a moment, just try and help you understand what life could be like Four years a Christian in North Korea. This is, I want you to imagine, I, I'm not Andy here, any here anymore. I'm a North Korean. And this is my story. The story of number 42. The name I was born with was the first thing they took away from me. When I arrived here, my name is Prisoner 42. Every morning at 8 a.m., they call for 42. I have to crawl through the I have to crawl through the cat flap. When I stand up, I'm not allowed to look at the guards. I have to get up, put my hands behind my back, and follow them to the interrogation room. I'm in there for hours each day. Every day they ask the same questions. Why were you in China? Why, who did you meet? Did you go to church? Did you have a Bible? Did you meet any South Koreans? Are you a Christian? 
Am I a Christian? Yes. I love Jesus, but I deny everything. I have to admit that I was helped by Chinese Christians. If I admit that, I will be killed. Either fast or slowly, but I will be murdered. I'm so terribly afraid. They beat and kick me every day. It hurts the most when they hit my ears. My ears ring for hours and days. At the end of the day, they bring me back to my cell. My cell is warm during the day, cold at night. It's so small, I can barely lie down. I'm not allowed to lie down much. I have to sit on my knees with closed fists. I'm not even allowed to open them. I'm in solitary confinement because according to them, I believe in God. My grandfather, he's the one who believed in God. On Sundays, he told me to leave the house and play outside. I didn't want to, but he forced me. When I came to China, I met Christians. I was touched by them. They never really spoke about the gospel, but I participated in their worship services. Then one night, I dreamt of my grandfather. I saw him sitting in a circle with other men. There was a Bible in the middle, and all of them were praying. In my dream, I shouted at him, I'm a believer too. I always thought I was like Joseph, the first one in the family to really follow God. But now I realized I came from a Christian family. One day, I was walking the streets of China and a black car pulled up next to me. I thought the man wanted to ask for directions, but the drivers and others came out and arrested me. I resisted but I couldn't get away. They pushed me in the car, and when the door closed and the car drove, I realized that my life was over. After a few weeks in a Chinese prison cell, I was handed over to the North Korean authorities. They brought me to this detention center. I had to strip off all my clothes, and they searched every part of my body to see if I'd hidden anything. I had to squat dozens of times. Then I was ordered to put on different clothes that didn't fit and didn't match, probably from a previous prisoner. They shaved off all my hair and brought me this, to this prison cell. I'm so alone. I know there are other prisoners. I can hear the voices, but I never see them. All I can do is pray, pray and sing in my heart, never out loud, only in my heart. I sing a song I wrote in my head. I'm no longer 42. I'm now 1445. Two years ago, they called me out of my prison cell and brought me to court. That was a victory. People who are sent to the Kuaiyo Weso are never sentenced by a judge. They just disappear from the cells. Most Christians go there. My persistence has paid off. They have found no... Um, they have not found me guilty for being a Christian. At the court, there was no lawyer to present me. I just stood in front of the judge with guards behind me. But I wasn't alone. My wife was there too. She looked at me with sad, the saddest eyes I'd ever seen. She was clearly crying. I wanted to say so much, and I know she wanted to talk to me too, but we couldn't. The judge asked her if she wanted to divorce me. In a broken voice, she said yes. It broke my heart. 
But she had to make that decision for the sake, for her sake and for the sake of our children. They would all be punished if she didn't divorce me. Then I was sentenced to four years re-education camp. If you think a re-education camp is the worst that can happen to you, you have not been to prison. I spent one year in the detention center and for one year my skin didn't touch a single ray of sunlight. Just to be outside, to feel the wind was amazing. That happiness disappeared when I arrived at the camp. I I saw moving shapeless forms. It took me a moment to realize these were people. Some were bent over, others missed an arm or a leg. I looked at my own arms and legs thin like matches I didn't look much better than the others in the camp I worked 12 hours a day sometimes more every day is just one long nightmare but I'm not alone the other day I was sick and uh, allowed to stay in my barrack I thought I was all by myself when I noticed a blanket in the corner it was moving I studied it and I realized that was a, there was a person underneath I softly walked towards the blanket and listened intently. The sounds were hardly audible, yet they sounded familiar. Suddenly, I knew it. The man was praying in tongues. I went to my mattress and studied the man for days. One day, we were walking outside, working outside. Nobody was near. And I walked up to him and said, Hello, greetings in Jesus' name. He almost had a heart attack. That's how shocked he was. Fortunately, I I could calm him down quickly. We formed a secret church inside the camp. When we met and felt safe enough, we prayed the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. He was actually much braver than I was. He spoke to others about Christ as well. That's why one day a car came to pick him up. When I saw him leave, I knew they were taking him to a maximum security prison. Kwai Lise. Nobody survives, Kwan Lise. I'm here in barracks, but not for long. God has been with me every day, every hour, every minute, every second. Yesterday it was announced that I would be released. I only have two, I only have served two years. The first thing I'll do when I get out is find my children. They are much bigger now. We haven't seen each other in years. But God has watched over me. And I pray and believe that he watches over them every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day. That was written by a man that had the privilege of of meeting. And uh, just when you're here, Stories like that, I don't know what it does to you, but it just makes me so grateful to God for the, the freedom we have. But also, it stirs me to pray for, for them. This is a man I had the privilege of meeting in, in uh, Lebanon, just on the borders of Syria. Uh, I, I can't tell you his name, but we'll call him Eric. And um, he's, he's from a Druze faith. I don't know if you've heard about the Druze, but uh, they, the only, I guess the best way to describe it is they're a bit like, um, they're kind of connected to Muslims, but Muslims hate them. Uh, it's almost like you might think of, of Christians and um, 
Jehovah's Witnesses or something. But it's just, they're just very, very different. And they're, they're persecuted too. But I'm, I've heard so many stories of people from the Druze faith becoming followers of Jesus and, and actually it being really dangerous for them. And I, um, I always wanted to meet one. And Eric here, he, he was one of those. And he told us uh, his story. And he said, growing up in the Druze community, the Druze community, it, that they're ranked. And he said that he got to almost the highest rank. He was second from the top. And he said that he, but he still had questions. And he said, these questions I'd ask those few, only two or three people in the top rank. And he said, these were fundamental questions for me that I needed answers to. And they couldn't answer them. So he said, I got to a point where I just completely lost my faith. I became an atheist. He said, my wife became really ill. And um, she was so ill that we thought she was going to die. She was crying out in pain one day. And, and he, he said she was crying so much in desperation. He just called out to God and said, God, if you're real, then um, heal my wife. And then uh, he, had, he said it was like an audible voice said to him, draw a cross on the part of your wife's body where, she, where there is the most pain. So he was so desperate, he went over to his wife and he did that. And she was instantly healed. And he was like, he didn't know anything about, he hadn't heard about Jesus, hadn't heard about the cross and didn't understand what happened. And that day he said he, he went back and he sat in his lounge kind of thinking, what's just happened there? And he sat down, as he did, he put his hand down the side of his sofa and he felt something down there and pulled it out and it was a Bible. Now when he told me this, I was like, that's just weird. But when he told me that in, in, um, in the Middle East, most people don't buy new sofas and also most people don't keep, monies and, uh, keep their money in banks or their possessions um, and saves or anything like that. He said they, um, the banks are just not safe places for that. So people keep their their treasured possessions and their money and, and that in places like sofas and they buy them second hand. So when, when I heard that, I thought, okay, that makes sense. Maybe someone who used to own that, that sofa was a Christian and their Bible was their treasured possession and they put it in their sofa and, and then he finds it and he reads it and, and he reads about Jesus and he reads about the cross and he, he said, I, I, I read um, so much. He said, I, I didn't go to sleep for three nights and three days I just kept reading. And he said, I met with Jesus and he became a follower of Jesus and then he sought out a Christian and, and, and found them and, and they were able to disciple him in his faith and he grew in his faith. And uh, he said so much so that he, start, he decided that he was going to reach out to the Druze community, which is a really dangerous thing to do. But he did it, and he said hundreds of Druze came to know Jesus. And he planted three churches. And then the, the, the leader of the Druze community came to him, and he said, you, you cannot do this anymore. If you continue to do this, we're going to kill you. So the, the church then had to go underground. But he said, we didn't stop. We kept going. He said, more people came to know Jesus. And he said, you know what? One day, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be killed for this. But he said, I'm going to continue going until Jesus takes me home. I'm never going to give up. Jesus is worth shouting about. Jesus is worth telling people about. Because I know that one day I'm going to face him. And I want to hear him say, well done.
Good and faithful servant. Continue to pray um, for Eric. I'm going to finish with um, this man. I met him in Jordan this year. Uh, he, he became really radicalized in his, in his faith as a Muslim. And he ended up um, joining ISIS. He was there in, in Mosul when in, t- in the summer of 2014 when uh, over 10,000 Christians had to flee Mosul. And he was part of ISIS that were driving them out. And he said he was even involved in some killings of Christians too. But he said he used to walk through his town and he said there was a shop window. And on this shop window, he said he saw the words, God is love. And he said it made him really angry. Because he said God is not a God of love. He said if God is a God of love, then that makes him weak. Because, because God is, or Allah as he would refer to him, he said, Allah is, is um, the Almighty. And the Almighty, if they love someone, if he loves someone, that makes you weak. That makes you vulnerable. Uh, and he, he said, how can the Almighty be a, be a God of love? And he was so angry by this that he, every time he walked past the window, he shot it. And the poor shopkeeper every day had to keep replacing his window. And one day he got so mad, he went into the shop And with a gun to the head of the shopkeeper, he said, what do you think you're doing? God is not a God of love. And that shopkeeper told him about Jesus and told him why God was a God of love and how he gave his only son to save the world. And this man, as he heard that, he knew it was the truth and he got down on his knees and gave his life to Jesus. And uh, this is him there now, telling us that story, the guy in the, in, the, uh, in the pale blue shirt. And do you know what he said to us? He said, if I'd met you six months ago and heard you were Christians, I would have killed you. But he came to us and he gave each of us a hug. And he said to each of us, I love you. And I know God loves you. And after he became a Christian, the pastor stood next to him. He said, we knew that he had, a, he had a hefty bounty over his head. He was quite high up. And people were looking for him. People were after him. And so they protected him. They put him in a safe house. And one day the pastor went to, well, he visited him every day. And they discipled him. And he said, but one day when he visited him, he said, uh, he said, you know what? He said, as a Muslim, I was ready at any point to strap bombs to myself and go and blow myself up in the name of Allah. I would have done that. He said, I've become a Christian and then I'm hiding. And the pastor looked at him and, and he said, wow. He said, you want to go out and tell people about Jesus? And he said, yeah, of course I do. So he goes out now every day, even though people are looking for him, people are after him. He tells people about Jesus. And over, he'd, only, he'd only, only been six months a follower of Jesus when I met him. And in that time, he's already led about 300 ex-members of ISIS to Jesus. God is at work. God is at work. And, and even in the darkest places, that small light, that just a, a flicker, that star in the sky, can be as bright as anything. And I, I know I'm out of time, but I, do, I want to encourage you.
saw the old Christian fellowship. Don't lose that light that God's put in you, the hope of the gospel, because this community of Shirley needs you. And I believe God's going to do amazing things through you if you remain faithful to him and, and are willing to, to, give it, to give him all and follow him. Shall we pray together? Just, uh, just have a sense that maybe this morning God has challenged you. Maybe he's encouraged you in some way or maybe you think actually I, maybe there's things that you just want to say to God right now and I'm just going to leave just a moment, just a moment of quiet for you to say whatever you want to in response to God in the quietness of your heart. Father, I want to thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, that you are here. Through it all, through it all, our eyes are on you. Jesus, help us to keep our eyes on you. No matter what happens around us, no matter what's going on in this crazy world, God, help us keep our eyes on you. Help us to remain faithful to the things that you've called us to. Thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who teach us what it really means to give everything for you. We pray for them this morning. God, would they know you so close to them? Those that feel they're at a point where they can't keep going any longer, Lord, would you fill them with your strength? Thank you, Lord, that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you that whatever the enemy seeks to do harm, you turn it to good. And Lord, thank you that you're at work. You're, the still, you're still on the throne. You're still king. And, and Lord, I want to pray for Solihull Christian Fellowship. Thank you for the witness they are here in Shirley. And I pray that you'd continue, Lord, to make them shine even brighter in this place that they'll see many come to know you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.